part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Will you now, as we open for your word, Father, will you give us the truth that backs up everything that we just sang? Father, it would be so easy for just to get caught up in that emotion that you are this great, great God and, and, and that we are strong in the weakness that we would just trust in you. And yet, Father, if we don't have biblical truth to back that up, if it's just a fairy tale, then, Father, we're just going to find out as soon as tomorrow or next week or the week after. And yet, Father, everything that we sing this morning about you being a good father, about how we can go out into the deep oceans, a place of weakness in our own life, and yet find strength in your arms, Father, you back it up with your truth, with your word, and with the victory over a, a death and a grave with a risen Savior. So, Father, today, we, we don't do this on emotion, even though it's pretty, very emotional to us. Father, we do this on solid truth that we find in your word. And, Father, we just thank you that we can start this new year off this morning as a family together, that we can study together, that we can cry together, that we can rejoice together. And, Father, we look forward to this new year of all the things that you have for us. So, Father, now will you open up our minds to actually becoming weak so that you can show your strength? Father, that is so odd for us. We don't like being weak. Will you show us the truth in your word this morning? And, Father, will you make it personal to us? Will you write on each individual heart, Father, in each individual ears this morning, they might hear the message that's meant just for them you would have prescribed before the, the foundation of the world. We love you and thank you that we can rest in this because you are a sovereign God and you're a good, good Father. As we pray all this in the name of Christ, amen. Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, you might have noticed a theme going there about weakness and, and weakness is not something that most of us do very well. Uh, we don't like being weak. And so usually we react to weakness in one of two ways. Uh, insecurity, and, and so that weakness we just kind of run and hide, or pride when we kind of puff up. And men, we're more prone to pride. When, when we sense that weakness is there, we try to put the chest out, we try to act big and strong, and, and that we're fearless, even though a lot of times that's not what's going on in the heart and the soul whatsoever. Ladies, a lot of times you battle with insecurity. And it's not that guys don't have insecurities and women don't have pride. But when we start to, to talk about the battles of life, ladies, a lot of times yours is going to take that form of insecurity. And it really is just, it's the same coin. It's just two sides of the same coin. And that gets reinforced day after day, minute after minute in our society. Because we are a society, I mean, we just came off of the most consumer-oriented time of the whole year when, you know, bigger is better. And new is better than the old. And, and so we have this culture that applauds bigger and better. And we have enough of that human nature, that fallen nature within us that we still have to contend with even in these days, that that's something that we continually going to fight against. Of You know, God really calls us to be weak. And so this morning we want to look into that and kind of examine that of how that plays out in our lives and see the command of God and the, the invitation of God for us to actually become weak so that he can become strong in our lives. And, and I promise you, it's going to go against everything that's kind of that innate feeling within us. Because we like big, and we like strong, and we like mighty. Andy and I were talking just before, you know, uh, Georgia has a new coach, and 
because 11 wins is not enough. You know, they want, okay, the championship. And, and it's one of those things that we can sit there and go, you know, man, I'd hate to be in that, you know, you know an SEC football coach. And, and you're right, you probably would hate to be that because, you know, you can be so successful, win 10 or 11 games and be, you know, but second just doesn't get it. We like champions. We like winners. And we like to be winners. And that's why we so identify with winners. That's why we like big and bold. It can be something as, as crazy as college football. It can be as, something as crazy as uh, a, a story that became kind of famous in, in my old church, my famous Christmas wreath. There's one year that I was going, I love a bargain. I, I, I get, that and my granddaddy was, loved bargains. And I was in the store and they had this huge wreath. And I can't tell you how huge it was. It, it was big. And it was 75% off. And so it was, you know, hey, it's big. We don't have a wreath that big. In fact, nobody in the neighborhood, in fact, nobody in Gwinnett County has a wreath that big. And so it was one of those things, plus the 75% off. I said, this has my name all over it. So I called Carly up and, and got it. She drove our old, we used to have a van and we drove the van. It actually, when we put it on top of the van, it, it hung over the sides. That's how big it was. We got it home. I, I tried to place it on the, on the, the house. Uh, we went up the attic. We put a string down. I was going to try to pull it off. It actually broke some wood. It was so heavy. It became the joke of Shatterbrook. I fi- finally just donated it to the church. And uh, somebody just a couple weeks ago were, was asking, whatever happened to that wreath? I said, well, I, I think they broke it up and made enough wreaths to, uh, to, to kind of inhabit a whole country because it was that big. But why is it that we have this propensity for bigger and better? Why, why do we like big? Why are we like new? Why are we so compelled for strong and all those things that have every element of look of success? Not just because our culture likes it, but we have a lot of that within ourselves. And so when we come upon a place where God continually talks about that, that he actually glories in small things, it kind of throws us for a loop. I mean, we just finished the Christmas story. Four weeks of talking about the Christmas story and Matthew and Luke and John. And then we were talking about our own Christmas story last week. And we talked about how, you know, when God was leading the Israelites out of captivity, how when Pharaoh was on this side and the Red Sea was on this side, and he told them what? Be still and, you know, know that I'm God. I'm going to fight for you. And we talked about how that went against, against every impulse that we have. And I used the illustration last week of, you know, a bear. They say if you come upon a grizzly bear, you know, or some big bear, play dead. Lay, don't run. And we said, you know, that just goes against everything. You know, everything in our heart says run as fast as you can. Well, a grizzly bear, I think, can run 20 miles an hour. Guess what? None of us can. You know? <laughs> None of us can run that fast. And so it's one of those things. Logic and truth say one thing, and your own impulse, what seems practical, is something else. Well, same truth there in weakness. We don't like being weak. We don't like any signs of weakness in our life. And yet, time after time, God has actually invited us, that last song, Oceans, come out to a place where you're on the ocean, a place of weakness where there's not solid ground underneath you, where you have to really trust just in what God is going to provide. And while we all would agree, especially if we've been in church for a while, that that really is the spiritual walk of trusting in God and the uncertainties of life, it goes against that human nature. And so we open the Bible, we see the Christmas story, we think, see God using these small things, little things. The little town of Bethlehem. Christ laid in a, in a manger, not, not in a throne. We, we see a little girl. 
Most scholars would believe that she's a, a teenager, a very young teenager at that, maybe 14 or 15 years old. God using all these things to change our world forever by bringing a Savior into the world, and yet he uses little things time after time. But we continue to look through the Bible and we see that this is not just a one-time thing for God. It's not like he, he always does things big and this one time he does things little. Now, he does some things big. I mean, if you go out there and look at the ark, you know, if you would have looked at the ark, that was big. Big on purpose so that it could carry all those animals. And there's other times that you could look in the Bible where God just showed himself majestic and holy and big. But there's a lot of times that you look in the Bible and the story that comes out is the, just the opposite of what you would think. Remember the time that he invited Abraham and Sarah to be faithful, to walk out in faith, to leave everything that's familiar? And he says, okay, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Well, that's a great promise. The problem is Sarah's 90 years old. Abraham older than that. I mean, you're talking about stepping out in an ocean. You're talking about going out into a place where you're going, okay, now how exactly are you going to make of us a great nation when we're this old? We're so far beyond childbearing years, this is impossible. And yet we see this miraculous thing, that in their weakness, in the impossibility of their life, God showed that all things were possible. Not just as some kind of positive thinking, but really as a foundation for our entire faith. We go on and we read in the Bible about David. Remember David just kind of shows up. He's bringing you know, lunch to his brothers. Goliath, that big old Goliath comes out and, and starts to curse against Israel. And David goes, why, guys, why are you not there fighting him? Why aren't you going down there and attacking him? They said, well, we're afraid. And God uses a little shepherd boy to take on a mighty man who had fought many wars, a giant of a man and a mighty warrior. Just the opposite of anything that you would think. He was probably the littlest one there. There was another time that Jesus was talking and, and the people were going by and they were dropping maybe huge sums of money into the offering plate and they were making much about it, you know, maybe waving the money in the air before they dropped it in so that everybody would notice that they were the big givers. And Jesus says, look over there, guys. And they looked over in the corner and there's this elderly woman and, and she was a widow. And she was almost ashamed to be there and she drops in what was called, we call it now the widow's mind. It's not even worth a penny. And do you remember what Jesus said? She gave more than anybody else. God glories in small things. He glories in small things so that you and I can't take credit, so we can't say, well, you know, yeah, God helped me out with that. God help you out with that? No, God was the whole purpose behind that. He's the whole strength behind that. And yet, because we live in these natural bodies, fallen people in a fallen world, well, we buy into this bigger is better, that, okay, might, strength, that's the way to go, and that weakness is something to run away from. Time and time again, we see it. God using the unthinkable. A little boy with some loaves and fishes, and he feeds thousands Enough to, and they have enough leftovers for you know, supper the next day. Incredible stories that we see in his word. And we begin to see that God not just has a propensity for these things, but he actually seems to delight in doing the impossible. He, he actually seems to delight and has great joy in taking the unthinkable and, and make it happen. Open your Bibles again to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
This is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a very... You think we think bigger is better in our culture? The Corinthian culture was very much... Uh, think Greece, think the Greek mindset, think people, uh, great philosophers like Aristotle, Socrates, Plato. I mean, all those guys were before Christ, and, and the Greeks loved their wisdom. They loved strength. They loved might. And a lot of the might that they loved is knowledge. And they thought, okay, the smarter you are, the stronger you're going to be. And they really put a lot of stock in that. And, and yet look what Paul writes when it comes to this whole life in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. All right, so okay, you have a culture, you have a society that says bigger is better. You have a culture that says, okay, it's all about you and show strength. Don't show weakness now. He said, I want you to know that when it comes to God, what he's done through the gospel, what he's done through Jesus Christ, he took those things that look so strong and he made them look very weak. And he took the very weak things and he's brought new life. I mean, was there ever a more humble life than Jesus Christ? Never. And yet at the same time, I don't want to give you the wrong feeling. Jesus did not walk away from every fight. When it was something that was a spiritual truth, he stood right there and he went toe to toe. I mean, he did the unthinkable. I mean, there were so many times that they truly could have taken him out and crucified him for the things that he did when he stood up against the, the, law, the, the religious people of the day, the governor of the day, and all those. There were so many times that Jesus did hold the line, but then there's other times that he just humbled himself amazingly, became weak in order to really show the strength that he got from his father. And that's really the challenge that we see here. In this world class of scholars, in this society in the Corinthian society that loved you know, the, the, the big and the bold and the smart and the strong. Paul comes back to remind them that the people that were actually in the Corinthian church, he said, guys, get a hold of yourself. We well, actually didn't say it in those words. Basically, look at verse 26. He says, For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. He, he comes back and basically what I think Paul is trying to get across is he said, look guys, you, you like the big and the bold, you like being famous, you like the acclaim and, and the fame of man. And he said, but I look out on the church and he says, I, I don't see really anybody here that's really famous. I don't see anybody here that can make that acclaim. But he said that there's a, a battle going on within you and I. Part of it is this, this very cultural thing, the culture that we live in. Part of it is that human nature that we just, we don't like to be embarrassed. We don't like to look weak. But then there's this spiritual thing that God is doing in our lives that says, okay, I want you to humble yourself. And I want you to become like a child. And becoming like a child, you're actually going to be the strongest person you can be. So what do we do with that? This call to weakness. I mean, really, if you were sitting there making your 2016 New Year's re resolutions, I mean, I, 
I don't know if anybody writes those down, but, you know, did you write down, I want to become weak this year? I doubt it made anybody's list. Maybe I want to become more spiritual. I want to become more godly. I want to be more Christ-like. Well, if you want to be more Christ-like, then you become weak. I mean, isn't that what Paul was saying in Philippians chapter 2? That he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. He, he humbled himself first by coming in, in earthly form, in a physical form, in human form. They said that he humbled himself. That even though he was equal with God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He wasn't always going around going, do you know who I am? I mean, he said that at the pertinent times when it was important, but the other times he just left it off. Do you really want to become weak? I mean, that's what the, those songs, I mean, every one of those songs you picked out were perfect this morning, Rick, because they all talked about weakness, and, and yet I don't know that we just woke up this morning going, man, I want to go to church because they're going to talk about becoming weak. And yet look what the Word says here. Verse 29 through, 7 through 29 says, God, what the foolish things? Verse 27, God chose the foolish things. didn't say, okay, God tolerated the foolish things. didn't say, God, you know, decided that foolish things were okay. No, he chose the foolish. And if you go down that passage, he chose the weak things. He chose the lowly things. He chose the despised things. To choose is to make a choice. Okay, I can make you this, or I can make you this. I can make you strong, I can make you weak. I can use strength to demonstrate my holiness and my power. I can use weak things, foolish things, things that logically maybe don't always add up because it's going to be a spiritual truth. And it says that God chose the weak things. He makes a choice. Hmm, do I use the most powerful guy, maybe King Saul, to go fight Goliath? Do I use this little shepherd boy that doesn't even shave yet? And at the end of the day, is God just interested about getting you know, Israel to victory and, and Goliath out of the way? And so the obvious choice is King Saul. If you go back and look in your Bible about what it says about King Saul, he was a mighty man. He was a man's man. He'd enter a room and people go, man, there's a man. And that's my obvious choice. Goliath, at least give somebody that's his contemporary, at least somebody that seems like they can be in this fight. Not this little guy who shows up with crackers and cheese for his brothers, because that's basically what David was doing. He shows up with crackers and cheese, and so here's lunch. Oh, by the way, why is that guy yelling at y'all? I'll go down and fight him. But we, we don't have a propensity. We don't, I don't know that we choose weakness. And yet God chooses those things. But he does it with a purpose. He doesn't do it just because it throws everybody off and it, it kind of is counterintuitive. Verse 29 tells us why he does it. Look at verse 29. So that no human being may boast in the presence of God. We've said it once. You've heard it preached here for years and years. Because I know Pastor Darrell preached this for years. Folks... <laughs> We do not get saved because of our merit. God did not say, see something in us and says, well, you know, you know Sherry, she's going to be a good singer, so I'll, I'll choose her because I can use that. Now, there was nothing in us of great value. The Bible said that even what we think would be our great works toward God, our love for others and kindness and all that, he says, like, 
you know, filthy rags before a holy God. He's not saying that to embarrass us. He wants us to get the proper perspective. And Paul is doing the same thing here. And here's the battle, guys. In our life, how does this play out in real life? Is this just a spiritual truth or what practical purpose does this to have? have? Satan would love to battle you in your pride and in your insecurities. Again, ladies, you're going to be more prone to insecurities. Guys, you're going to be more prone to pride. I, I am the most proud man that I know, and I say that ashamedly. I mean, how can, you know, one little thing t- kind of tick you off? How can one thing that said the wrong way or the one car that wants to kind of cut in front of you or whatever, all of a sudden, you know, ruin your whole next five, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, the whole day because all of a sudden this pride jumps up. It's an amazing thing how we're just one button away. Would you agree, men, that most of us are one button away from really showing that proud, that proud, very terrible side of us? Ladies, would you agree, and again, it's not that you don't have pride and we don't have insecurities, but but ladies, would you agree that that you're one button away, one comment away, one thought away from really living and dwelling in the insecurities of your life? I'm not good enough, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not... That's the battleground that we're talking about here. This is what Satan loves to play on this field. And, And we buy right into it because we don't like this weakness. We want to win, and we especially want to win spiritual battles. And so uh, this call to weakness brings out uh, uh, this side of us where ladies, a lot of times, not, not to say that, again, that men don't do this. I, I don't want to be categorically women are insecure, guys are prideful. But 99%, yeah, <laughs> you know, that, that's where our foe comes. That's where the battle comes for a lot of us. And, and here's the trouble with that. In insecurity, you know how we usually battle with that when we don't think we're going to win? We withdraw. Have you ever found yourself withdrawing? You know, Even where God says, okay, walk out on that part of the ocean where it's deep. And, you know, I, I got you. I got you on this. And what we find, no, this sandy beach is plenty fine for me. <laughs> you know, I see other people in the ocean. It looks like they're having fun. But uh, I'm not going to go out on the ocean to use the song that we just sang. And so we withdraw. Guys, what do we do? With pride, we do just the opposite. We engage. Times that we should withdraw and say, you know, that is not a mountain I want to fight with. You know, that is not a mountain I want to die on. We're going, man, that guy just cut me off. I'm going to die on this battle. And Carly always reminds me, he goes, you don't know if they don't have a gun. And I'm going, they don't have a gun. Well, nowadays, they really might have a gun, you know. And, and, and really, honestly, what, why is it so satisfying then, and guys, this is a language that we understand, that somebody does that to you and then you kind of get up close to them, you know, just to remind them that you were back there and they took your space. Why, why is that satisfying? It is satisfying to me. I mean, why would we do it if there wasn't a little bit of satisfaction going, okay, I just showed you. And so think about it. Here's what we do, guys. Instead of this call to weakness, when it's insecurities, we withdraw. When it's pride, we engage. We withdraw from battles that we should be fighting. We engage battles that we should not be fighting. And so God is telling us here that, you know, 
if there is to be a battle, the battle is the Lord's. Again, that's what David, remember? David isn't that, all, okay, he has this secret slingshot and he goes, you know, you just don't know about this. You know, I've got the, you know, this secret slingshot and I've never missed. And so I'm going in the confidence of that. No, he had been useful with that slingshot before. But what did he go as he went to engage Goliath on the battlefield? You remember what he said? You know, I come out here, you know, not by my might and power. Look what it says. 1 Samuel 17, 45. Then David said to the Philistine, that's Goliath. Some people say that he was nine foot nine. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. No, no mention of a slingshot. No mention of, you know, I'm pretty good with a slingshot. That was the vehicle by which he drops Goliath, chops off his head, and then all of a sudden the Israelites begin to, to storm, you know, the, the opposing army there. But, but there's no mention of a slingshot. He, he doesn't come in that power. He says, I come in the name of the Lord of hosts. Encouragement for you, challenge for you, church. In this coming year, as we uh, have battles that we feel like we want to withdraw from, if God is calling you into that battle, and there will be many battles, again, there are many times that Jesus was engaged in battle, know where your strength is. It's not your ability to outwit. It's not your ability to, to outperform. It's not you're a better person than this person, so you win by default. You, you have one strength to go to spiritual battle, and that is you come in the name of the Lord of hosts. And there's a lot of times that in that call to engage, that call to, to, to get away from the safe and go out there, and it may be something as simple, you know, very practical, like, you know, I'd love to sing up there with the guys, or I'd love to play the guitar, or I'd like to do something, but, you know, I just don't know. I'm not very good. It may, it may be something as practical as that. It may be leading out in another area of a church. I mean, this is not my appeal to get more people involved in working in the church. I'm just saying there's all kinds of things that we withdraw from the battle because, you know, we, we don't engage because we don't have a confidence. Well, your confidence should not come in your ability. Your confidence comes at God's call. And I, and I would pray that everybody would hear God's call in their life. There is nothing more scary, but there is nothing more sweeter than God's call in your life. I mean, it's scary because he really doesn't camp you out on the beach too often. He calls you out into the ocean. <laughs> There's not an amen. Say it, she knows. Says, yes. Preach it. <laughs> and so when God does that, you know, we need to know that he is going to be prepared to fight for us. There's another story I want to share from the Old Testament. I love how the Old Testament always kind of, you know, leads, as we said, points to Christ. Everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. Everything in the New Testament after the Gospels points back to Christ. It's all about Christ. But we can take those stories of the Old Testament that we see, and and they're already pointing us to to God's provision for us in everyday life. Open your Bibles to Judges chapter 7. The Israelites were fighting an army called the Midianites, And the Midianites were known to be very fierce, very fierce 
uh, mighty army. Uh, I don't know what we would liken it to today. Maybe the the um, you know the United States Army. You know, as far as the the, the latest technology, the the latest and the greatest, the most men. I don't know what the equivalent would be for today, but back in the time, they were kind of known as a world power within that area. And in fact, the Bible even says this, you know, their technology was camels, okay? They had, and it says, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern people had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. They were a mighty army. They had all the provision. They had, they had, they had all these things. And yet, God called Gideon to engage into battle with them. This is one of the times that he says, okay, I want you to engage into battle. So Gideon puts the word out, and the Israelites respond. And they get up an army of 32,000 folks. Only one problem with that. The Midianites had an army of 135,000. They're basically outnumbered, you know, four to one, five to one, they're, they're, they're outnumbered. And so even though they, they got this strong army together, it's not as strong as the Midianites. Plus the Midianites have all these camels and all this other stuff. And so it just doesn't look like it's going to be a very good battle. And yet Gideon, he, he's just trusting the Lord. And so he's going, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. I, I will follow your call. I will engage even though I really want to withdraw because this battle seems like it's a no winner. Well, those 32,000 men come together, and God says, okay, Gideon, impressive, 32,000 guys going up against 135,000, but I want you to thin out your ranks. Uh, God, did I hear <laughs> thin out the ranks? Yeah, you got too many people. I, I want you to send some people home. You, you still have too many. And, and so he sends some people home and gets them down to 10,000. So now you're 135,000 down to 10,000. Okay, no logical sense of why you would ever engage here. And then God does something that's really almost unbelievable at this point. He, he said, you still have too many. He said, I want you to take those men. I want you to go down to the stream. And I want you to watch how they drink the water. Tell everybody to take a little break, get some water. And the ones that actually bow, you know, kind of get all the way down and, and lap it up like a dog, he said, you know, you're, you're going to send those home. Everybody who kind of takes, goes down and gets some water in the hand and laps it up like that, he said, you keep those. Well, Gideon is watching this happening and he's going, okay, he's going to go, he's going to go. And the majority, the great majority are sent home. They're lapping up like a dog and he sends all those home. And you know how many he keeps? Anybody remember the number of, that he keeps? 300. 135,000 to 300. Why does God call us into weakness? Why does he call us into personal weakness? Well, Paul's already told us. So he can show us his glory, that he can show us things that we can ever take credit for, that he, we would be able to say, you know, look... Only God could, you know, allow me to do that. So that when we sing songs like that, when we start talking about the grace of God, we know that we're singing authentically. We're not just singing some fairy tale, not just some hopeful wish that we would have, that we want to be people like that, but that we can actually be people like that. Why can we be people like that? Because we have a God like that. It's nothing in you. 
It's all about Him. And yet you place your faith in Him, and all of a sudden, I don't care if it's 135,000 down to 300. Well, do you remember what happened in that story? He puts them out there, and he tells them basically, he says, okay, you can take those 300 men. He gave everybody a trumpet, a pitcher, and a torch. He divided them up into three different sections, 100 here, 100 there, 100 there. He said, okay, when I tell you, I want you to blow the trumpet. When I tell you, I want you to you know, light the fire. When I tell you to do this, I want you to kind of crash that pitcher. And, and when I tell you to yell out, I want you to yell out. And, and they do all those things on Gideon, Gideon's command. And, and the Midianites, 135,000, they start killing each other. They get so confused. They see these lights. They hear all this noise. They get overwhelmed. And in their confusion, they end up either you know, taking their own lives or they end up killing each other. And the Israelites win. Is that just a feel-good story? Well, you know, Pastor Bobby, what's the purpose of that? God has definitely called us into weakness. He's certainly called us into humility, to put all of our trust and our faith and trust in Him and His ability. And in that weakness, we will find strength. For some, it will be that you don't need to engage this battle. There's many here that, you know, you're, you're just, you're fired up about something. And, and God really, I mean, listen to the Spirit of God. Don't, don't listen to me. Listen to the Spirit of God. God. God is really maybe telling you, hey, back off. Disengage. Let your pride, you know, go away and draw back. Become weak so that I can show my strength. For some of you, that means forgiving somebody. For some of you, it means that you truly have that act of forgiveness. But they haven't apologized. They haven't made amends. They haven't done this. They haven't done that. And so I'm going to engage them, and I want justice. And God is calling you by the name of Christ and by the cause of Christ to back off. But then there's going to be other times in this year that every fiber of your being, every thought and synapse in your mind is going to say, okay, withdraw, withdraw. That's too scary. I don't want to go out there. And God says, no, you engage. But there's 135,000 of them, Lord. And all I've got is, you know, 32,000. Well, I can take care of that. I can get you down to 10,000 really quick. I can get you down to 300 really quick. And yet God wants you to engage for his glory. I don't know what individual situations are for each one of you. I don't know which ones are supposed to be engaging and which ones are supposed to be withdrawn. I trust the Holy Spirit to do that. I just know that God has called us into this humility. As it said there in verse 27, but God chose the foolish things. It may look foolish by all human standards and especially by cultural standards where bigger is better, mighty is good, and weak is bad. And yet, will there ever be another man like Christ who humbled himself to death, even death on a cross? That's our marching orders, guys. That's why Paul said in Philippians 2.5, Have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you're a Christian, he said, you already have the ability to think like this. Now just start thinking like that. So today during our, our decision time, our, our prayer time, you know, just to come back to like what Zechariah says, and, you know, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. Maybe that would just be our prayer this morning, God. 
do you want me to disengage? Am I trying to fight some battles that I just need to leave alone? I just need to take my pride out of it and just, you know, God, just trust you with this. Or are there battles in your life that you really just need to engage and you're intimidated, you want to withdraw, you want to run the other way, you want to sound that, that, that horn of re- retreat, and yet God says, no, you step out in this ocean, this unsure place, where your only security is me. What a dangerous place to be where the only security that you have is Jesus Christ. But could you think, and you challenge me on this, can you think of a place that God is more glorified in your life than when all you have, all you have is Him as your security? Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, I, Father, there are things in my life that I have made such a big deal about and you just want to say, Bobby, let it go. And Father, there's other places of weakness and, and, and Father, insecurity in my life. Well, I just want to retreat and run to the other side. And Father, you're telling me to engage, just to trust you. So, Father, I, I believe that if you're doing that in my life, I believe that you'd also be doing that in the lives of your children and, and your family and the folks that are here this morning. So, Father, I, I pray that you would just let your voice be known, Father, that we would know to we attack and trust, even it looks like overwhelming odds, do we retreat? And, Father, maybe right now your, your, your message to us is what we, you said last week in the message, just to be still, just to be quiet. And know that you are Lord. So, Father, we trust you with this decision time. And, Father, this time when we just can focus and pray and, and relate back to the truth of your word. Father, thank you that you chose the foolish things. You chose people like each one of us to be a part of your kingdom. It makes no earthly sense why you would want me to be in your church. It makes no earthly sense why you would choose each one of us with all of our faults and with all of our failures and with all the different things that we really struggle with, why you would choose us. And yet, Father, I believe with all my heart of what the Scripture says that you chose us to be in Christ Jesus. And, Father, we just glory in that this morning. So, Father, you lead now as we sing. And, Father, you just take our hearts and you give us direction as we pray all this in the certainty of Christ. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.